Maureen, how you doing? You okay? You sure? It's warm, isn't it? So for the next three hours, I want... No, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I wouldn't do that to you. I just want to speak for a few moments on the theme of God of hope this morning. Um, but I wonder how you're feeling at this point in the year. September always feels a bit of a fresh start, doesn't it? It's kind of like you get two points, you get January, and then you can kind of have another go in September as you begin a new year. Maybe you're feeling excited. Maybe you've got lots of goals that you want to achieve this year, this term. Maybe you've got things that you want to enjoy, or maybe you're feeling something else. Maybe you're feeling a bit anxious and wondering how you're going to manage it was back to school week, wasn't it, this week, or in our house, going to school for the first time week. And uh, for Tilly, our four-year-old, there's been a whole host of emotions as we've approached this time. There's been lots of excitement and anticipation and getting ready. So we've been reading lots of uh, children's storybooks about going to school. We've been playing teachers a lot in her bedroom, so she's the teacher, and her cuddly toys, and her younger sister, and Lydia and I are also the pupils. We've had a bit of that. Uh, we've been lots of, there's been lots of telling kind of random strangers which school she's going to. Just in the middle of conversation, out of the blue, she suddenly announces, I'm going to St. George's, and they're like, oh, okay, that's great. Um, and there's been some wearing of school uniform just at random points throughout August, just because she wanted to. So there's been this kind of excitement about starting school, but this week it's fair to say the other side has kicked in, and there's been some nervousness. Uh, on the way to school, we've had protests in the street, arms folded, big fat lip, I'm not going to school, I don't want to go to school, there's been tears. We've had the real ups and downs, one minute being distraught, the next minute absolutely fine. Uh, I wonder if that sounds familiar to anyone else. But it's fair to say for Tilly starting school, there's been a whole host of different emotions. And I think if we're honest, as we enter September, we probably all feel a little bit like that. There may well be excitement, things that we're looking forward to, that sense of a fresh start that we, most of us enjoy but there may also be challenges as we look ahead right now. Uh, perhaps with colleagues at work, challenges in our workplace, and that's causing real stress in our lives. We're, as we go into work each day, we're wondering, can I really get through the day? Maybe illness or health difficulties that we're facing or we have loved ones facing, and the future looks uncertain, it's causing stress. Uh, maybe there's mental health challenges around us. Maybe you're simply wondering how you're going to physically do it. How are you going to juggle work and childcare and looking after the house and whatever else it might be. Maybe it's financial struggles. You'll know what it is that you face. And of course, as we set our gaze a little bit wider and we think kind of nationally or globally, I only have to open my BBC News app to see there's plenty that might cause a bit of anxiety. We're aware of the climate crisis that we face, various injustices that hit our news, particularly around refugees and migrants, uh, economic instability. The world feels a little bit on a knife edge. And this morning, into that mix, I want to encourage us, friends, that we can have hope because we have a God of hope. And that 
changes everything. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is a God of hope. And I love that image of overflowing with hope. Uh, This weekend, we went as a a family to Croydon Recreation Park because it's got a little like splash pool, paddling pool uh, in the playgrounds. And uh, the kids were having a fantastic time. And uh, if you sit anywhere near the pool, you're bound to get wet because there's just splash coming uh, all the time. And I think we're to be a little bit like that Paul, but that we not only in ourselves know this buoyant hope, this joy, this peace, but actually that we carry it. It's contagious. And as we walk into a room, hope also walks into the room. As we go into our workplaces or our streets or our families, we're people that carry hope where there is despair or there's discouragement or there's anxiety. That's who we are as God's people. That's who we're invited to be. But how is it that this hope and this joy and this peace actually become kind of activated in our lives? Well, Paul says it comes from trusting in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you do what? As you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope. We've just celebrated a baptism, and uh, a baptism is all about saying, I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. it's, It's an act, it's a symbol of our faith and allegiance to Jesus. I'm going to align myself with Jesus as I align myself with his death and his resurrection, and Emma and Jerome have done that on behalf of Eve this morning. And I want to invite all of us in a sense, to do the same thing, to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you for this new season that I walk into. I'm going to put my hand in your hand, because when we do that, whatever we might be facing this morning, he can turn it around, because he's the God of hope. The French uh, existentialist Albert Camus once said that hope, as a rule, makes a fool. Hope, as a rule, makes a fool. And the Bible's reply is really, well, it depends what you're hoping in. It depends what you're hoping in. Psalm 146 says this, Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. But blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. If we put our trust in humans, if we put our trust in ourselves, if we put our trust in money, in fact, if we put our ultimate uh, trust in anything other than God, one day it's all going to go flop. It's all going to come tumbling down. But blessed are those, the Scriptures say, whose help is in God, whose hope is in the Lord their God, because He is the God of hope. And, you know, God is always speaking hope into our lives if we have ears to listen. Through the Scriptures, God always comes to His people 
in places of anxiety and fear and wondering what the future holds. And he comes and he speaks hope. And our reading today was one of those passages. And it comes at a time when God's people really needed this message. They were in exile in Babylon. They'd been marched from their home in Jerusalem. The Babylonian Empire had taken over. The temple had been destroyed, plumaged, and uh, they were in a foreign nation. And they were wondering, where is God? What's going on? What does the future hold? Filled with anxiety and fear. And into that place, the Lord sends the prophet Isaiah. And from Isaiah 40 onwards, we get peppered these beautiful words of hope from the Lord, calling God's people to turn their hearts to him, to give their lives to him, to trust in him. And uh, there's two things I really want to pull out of this section that we had read. The first thing is this, that I notice he calls his people to trust in his presence more than a plan. He calls his people to trust in his presence more than a plan. Verse Two, when you pass through waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Water in the Bible is a symbol often, not today because I'm not in the baptism, but often it's a symbol for chaos. So right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21, we get this picture of heaven finally coming on the earth, the kingdom of God coming in its fullness. And there's this little line, the sea will be no more. There'll be no more sea. And you're thinking, what's going on with about that? You know, I like the sea. God likes the sea. You like the sea. There's nothing wrong with the sea. It's pictorial language to say there'll be no more chaos. Chaos will be gone when heaven, gone when heaven fully comes. And that's our ultimate hope when Jesus comes again and the kingdom comes. But here the Lord's saying that when you go through seasons that feel chaotic, that feel messy, that feel, uh, you wonder how you're going to get through the day, I will be with you. I might not necessarily take you out of the river. I might not necessarily take you out of the storm. But you know what? You're going to survive it because I am with you. He talks about fire. When life heats up. It's another image of trouble that we might go through. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in fire by the king of Babylon during the exile. But what happened to them? They weren't burned, exactly what the Lord says here. They weren't burned because the Lord was with them. And if he's with them, then he's with us. One commentator writes this, There's no promise here of a quick fix or a trouble-free future but the promise of God's sustaining presence right through to the journey's end. Friends, he calls us to trust in his daily presence with us over a plan, over a strategy. And you know what? I find that so hard because I love a plan. I love to know what's going on. Frankly, we all do, don't we? It gives us certainty. You think ahead, what's, gonna, what's life going to be like in five years' time? What's your five-year plan, your 10-year plan? As I Think and dream for this church. Where will, we be, will be, we be in five years' time? Where will we be in 10 years' time? And as a church, we're just trying different things as we seek to reach out with the love of Jesus and see the church come alive. But one of the things I really sense the Lord speak to me about over the summer 
is to not trust in the strategy, to not trust in the plan, but to trust in Him for each step. And just to kind of embrace the unknown, because frankly, if the last few years have taught us anything, is that we don't know what tomorrow brings. Who could see a global pandemic coming? No one knows what tomorrow brings. Life is turbulent, the world particularly so at the moment. But what we can be sure of is that God is with us. And even when we get tomorrow, we'll be okay. Get to tomorrow, we'll be okay because God will be with us then. The promise of God's presence is the most repeated promise in the whole Bible. Hundreds of times again and again, the Lord says, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. He says it to Abraham. He says it to Moses, to Joshua, to Gideon, to David, to Mary, to the Apostle Paul. And it's the most often repeated phrase because it's what we most need to hear. It's Jesus' last words in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you always, Jesus says. And, you know, there's five words there that we can take home, that we can take into our week, one for each finger of our hand. I am with you always. That's what the Lord says to you. And if you're having a bit of a meh kind of moment this week, if life feels a little bit difficult, just look down at your hands and remember Jesus is with you. Friends, he calls us, he's calling us, inviting us to trust in his presence each day more than a plan. And secondly, he reminds us of his character. That's what we see in this passage One of the things that can happen when we go through difficult times is that we stop believing in God's goodness and that he really loves us. C.S. Lewis, after his beloved wife Joy died in 1961, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And in it he writes this, Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God, The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not, so there's no God after all, but, so this is what God's really like. Deceive yourself no longer. And for all of us, as we go through challenges, if we go through breakups, we go through health crisis, financial crisis, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be, we can start to believe God doesn't really love me. How could he possibly love me? How could he really be good if this is happening? And so here in verses 3 and 4, he encourages us with his character. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom and Cush and Sheba in your stead. Since you are precious and you're honored in my sight and because I love you. There's an old worship song that's based upon these verses uh, in the Scriptures, and I was reminded of it as I was preparing this talk. It's called Precious in Your Eyes. And um, it was a song that Lydia's father used to sing over her as a child. And uh, the chorus goes like this, You have redeemed me. You've paid the full price. You've called me by name. You tell me that I'm yours because I'm precious in your eyes. And friends, that's the voice that God wants us to have in our minds when we think of him.
precious, loved, honoured. He knows your name. He knows the hairs in your head. He knows what you're going through. Is that the voice that you hear? So often the voice that we have in our heads of God is more like, yeah, not good enough. Failure. Judgment. You're alone. Maybe because we've been exposed to damaging religion. Maybe we've been in an unhealthy context where Christianity has been uh, portrayed as judgment and rules. And so we have a corrupt, corrupted view of God. Perhaps going through a difficult time, a time of suffering, has allowed those negative voices to come in. But God says, I'm good and I love you and you're honored and you're so precious to me. It's the voice of a good father. And he says, I'm your savior. He says, I give Egypt as your ransom. I'll move history for you. It's a reference to the events of the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, as God's people went from slavery into freedom. And it points us forward. He's our savior to Jesus, the ultimate sign of God's love for us and his commitment to us on the cross, where he died for our sin in the most excruciating way. He was separated from the Father And he rose again so that we might be his children and come back to him. Philip Yancey said the whole story of the Bible could be described as God's relentless pursuit to get his children back. Just look at the cross. If you want to know if God loves you, if you want to know if God's really good, if you want to know if God's really with you, just look at the cross. It's the ultimate sign of the lengths he would go to to bring you back to him. Of course, he loves you. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, The Son of God loved me and gave his life for me. And each one of us can say that if you were the only person on the planet, Jesus would have died for you. He really does love you, even if we sometimes struggle to believe it. Just look at the cross. It reveals who he is. So as I come into land just want to ask a question. Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you trust in him this week? Will you trust in him this year? Whatever you're going through right now, you are invited, we're invited to put our hands in the hands of the God of hope, the God who can take our pain and turn it into healing, who can take our mourning and turn it into dancing, who can take our anxiety and turn it into peace, who can take Good Friday and turn it into Easter Day. Will you put your hands in the hands of the God of hope? I just want to finish with a, a little story of a friend of mine I was reminded of recently, a friend called Tamlin. It's a story of uh, a healing in her life when she was a child. She basically grew up with a, a skin condition, awful skin condition, and... Um, Tried all sorts of different things to, to find healing. She got these big blisters on her legs. And she tried different medicines. She tried different creams. The doctors just didn't know what to do. And one day when she was seven, she was in so much pain. Her parents, her father decided to pray for healing one evening. And they were Christians, but they weren't kind of that familiar with a healing ministry. But they were desperate. And so they prayed this prayer of healing in Jesus' name. And the next morning, she woke up, and the blisters had completely disappeared. 
and her skin was as smooth as a baby's bottom, and they've never come back again, because that's what the God of hope does. That's what can happen when we put our lives into his hands. Amen. Amen. Shall we stand together?